Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. What you gonna do? Thanks for being here. I want you to help us make a difference in the community. We have started something called Broomhead's Action Alliance, and it's just community service project. You'll be notified at upcoming volunteer opportunities in the community by joining. I'll even send you an Action Alliance t-shirt while supplies last. Just text the word ACTION to 411923. That's ACTION to 411923. Schools, education. The other day we talked about a school district that was doing very well. High teacher retention, high job approval, all of those other things. Now, here we are again. Um, we're talking about students that have uh, are, there's a big shortage of teachers and how are schools dealing with it. And one of the one of these the, the stories is from the Republic. And it says for uh, from bus drivers to care workers, Arizona schools struggle to find staff. Sometimes parents fill in the gap. Um, and it chronicles Kyrene. Um, so I look at these and I think, what are we what are we doing uh, wrong in public education? This has been a big story for me for a long time. Um, I just talked this morning and we're going to talk a little bit more about it later in the show. I, I talked with a man named Robert Hughes. Robert Hughes is the president of Canyon State Electric. But he is with an organization called Build Your Future Arizona, and they are trying to recruit in high schools and kids at college level, uh, young people especially, but for anybody, that if you want to go into the skilled labor, into the trades – and I'm such an advocate because it changed my life. And in hindsight, as I got older and looked back, I thought, man, this this could have changed things. I don't know if this makes sense to any of you or if you had the same questions I had. But I was I was a maniac of a teenager. I made some really bad choices. Um, and I don't mean like illegal. I wasn't a criminal. But I was just a kid that was undisciplined. I didn't care about school. But I had a really good foundation in education when I was when I was in elementary school and middle school. It was high school that I was I was ready to grow up. At twelve years old I got a job and by the time I got to be fourteen and I was in high school, I didn't even want to be there. I wanted to work and I did. I was working full time when I was fifteen. But it was kind of aimless. You know, I was working in restaurants and I was doing some things that I didn't I wasn't thinking about what my career would be. Looking back, a career in the service industry, if I, if I had been a waiter my whole life, I think I'd have been pretty happy with that, to be honest with you. I love working in restaurants, but I didn't have a pathway. I was just kind of existing. And when I entered the trade completely by accident, it changed my direction because it changed my perspective. I now wanted to learn something. I wanted to read the books. I wanted to go to the classes. I wanted to be to get the certifications. I wanted those things. Much like many people, which I, you know, I couldn't figure out when I was a kid, getting a degree, a high school diploma didn't matter to me. A college degree didn't matter to me. All that mattered to me was working. You know, those things didn't matter. You just work. Go to work. And then I became an electrician and I realized I wanted the certification. I wanted to be a journeyman. I went through things, you know, that none of you have probably ever heard of transient voltage surge suppression, um, you know, lighting design and that kind of stuff. I wanted to be certified in a lot of these areas because I wanted to be reputable in the industry. I also leaned on the education that I used to question. 
I used to say to people, when will I ever use geometry? When will I ever use algebra in my life? Well, everything you do as an electrician, every calculation you make is an algebraic equation. You use geometry and conduit bending. And to be honest with you, um, I'm so glad I had a foundation, but I had a lot of catching up to do. And what are we getting wrong in public schools? And part of it is we're monolithic. I will tell you in public schools with with very few ex- exceptions, with very few exceptions, although there are always some. Kids are directed on the pathway to college. Nothing wrong with that. I think college a college education is a phenomenal thing to do. But we also know it's not for everyone. Imagine taking a 14, 15-year-old kid, freshman, sophomore in high school, and having conversations with them about what they want to do, what they like to do. When you go into the military, you take something called the ASFAB test, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. It is a test, and it tells you, based on these tests, what you're good at, what you'd be good at. And you look at that and you think, oh, my gosh, this says I'm really good at this. I'll go be a mechanic. I'll go be this. I'll go be that. Why aren't we doing with that younger people that if you've got someone that can't afford college, doesn't want college, wants to work, why aren't we directing them to the CTEDs, to the, you know, the, the EVITs and the Westmax? Why aren't we saying to these kids, here's a career path for you where you're getting mentorship, you're getting experience, and now your education means something. Now, math class matters for those calculations. As dumb as this sounds in the culinary arts, let's say someone loves to cook and you realize the kitchen is like home to you. And now you're 14, 15 years old and you're designing menus and you're learning how to cook and you're learning knife skills and you're learning all of these recipes. But now all those fractions that you are supposed to use, now you know how math plays a role in that world. And now those classes mean more to you because there's practical application in what you're doing with your life. And even if you don't understand it as a kid, later on when you get older, the word purpose matters. When you start thinking, now I have a purpose, my purpose, I I want, I'm going to take this class, not because I'm going to be a mathematician, but because it's going to help me open that restaurant someday. It's going to hope it's going to help me be an electrical contractor someday. Now, you may never get there, but you know what they say, shoot for the stars and settle for New Jersey. You you uh, you want to you want to try to be think about what your dream is and how to get there. And that sense of purpose motivates people. Now, I'll be honest. There are a lot of people I'm envious of that had that sense of purpose at a young age that had a sense of purpose when they were in high school. They knew I want to go to college. I want to be a lawyer. So you start taking AP classes and you start doing all the things you do and joining clubs and everything else. So you've got a great resume so you can get accepted into a really good university somewhere, maybe in an Ivy League school, so that your career can take off in the path that you want it. How many people that we know in this building uh, from Cronkite School, where they come from all over the country, probably the world, to learn journalism at one of the most exclusive and elite journalism schools in the country? And so if you have that sense of focus when you're young, you're way ahead of the game. But, man, what we can do to help give young people a sense of purpose um, in other ways so that it helps in education, not being so monolithic in how we do things um, and directing them in one direction that if it's not a college degree, you are kind of stuck. You're either in or you're out, and that's not necessarily the case. 
But our public education system and scores will improve when kids have a sense of purpose, when they are explained why, when why means something to them. Yes, this is why you need to do this. Because I said so doesn't get through to them all the time. Then they're going through the motions. So I, it, it was an interesting um, interesting story about education. I don't want to belabor it too much, but I, I found it to be interesting. Um, is the White House considering a ban on fossil fuels? We're going to talk about inflation, but we're also going to talk about specifically about the policy where they may actually be doing it. It's all coming up in just a few moments. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, I appreciate you spending some time with the show. I really do. Um, A couple of things that we've talked about this morning about inflation. I've been talking a lot about policy again. Uh, the, the, The question came up about the president of the United States who during the debates for president, when he debated former President Trump, said that he was going to move us away over time, move us away and get rid of fossil fuels, stop uh, subsidizing fossil fuels, start subsidizing other things, making the accusation that we didn't subsidize uh, solar or, or uh, um, renewable energy, which the former president denied. But that's neither here nor there. That's in the past. So in the present, they, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, was asked, uh, w- what about this possible ban – on fossil fuel products in the U.S. And here is the question and answer. How seriously is the administration considering a ban on um, U.S. petroleum products? So um, everything is on the table. Uh, don't have anything right now uh, to preview. Clearly, our focus today is to uh, make sure that we uh, deliver on the president's promise is to continue to lower gas prices for the American people. Uh, but again, I don't have anything to preview uh, at this time. How do you say that everything is on the table, including getting rid of petroleum products? Do you have any idea how many things that are probably in the room with you right now that have petroleum in them, that are maybe even a petroleum-based product? So it's not just um, oil and gasoline and diesel. and um, It's not just that. There are a lot of products that are petroleum-based. And – The idea that you are sending a message that, yes, a ban on those products is on the table, and then in the next breath say you're going to lower gas prices is – is just outrageous to me. I don't know how you can connect the two. Um, Representative Clyburn, I want to play just a part of this. I played it earlier today. This also adds to policy. This is from South Carolina, James Clyburn, answering a question about inflation and how worried Americans are about rising costs. But he also said we knew this was going to happen. Well, let me make it very clear. All of us were concerned about these rising costs. And all of us knew this would be the case uh, when we put in place this recovery program. Anytime you put more money uh, into uh, the economy, prices tend to rise. So whenever you put more money into the economy, prices tend to rise. Now, the question is, won't some of these big companies use intimidation? This is interesting. We are not going to allow these kinds of intimidations, be it by big corporations who are raising prices when they should not be, or foreign countries who are doing untoward things in retaliation for our uh, assisting our allies. That's not going to trump our, and that's an intended pun there, our concern 
Even if the policies are doing what they're doing, they're going to continue to put cash in the pockets of people. This is um, – I, I have a different political philosophy than many people do, and mine is when it comes to the government, less is more. That the government, if they want to really help the economy, get out of the way. Let people do what they do. One of the conversations we're having in Arizona, and I'll give you an example in a different way. Um, one of the things we're talking about in Arizona is what can we do to help ease the, the housing burden, the housing shortage that we have in Arizona. And one of the things that's being considered and is is hopefully changing is the regulation that's out there. Now, nobody wants to, to um, sacrifice quality construction or workmanship. No one is talking about that. But the red tape and the things that it takes to get a project started, the zoning changes that need to happen, some of the regulations where the cities and the counties have conflicting requirements as far as safety issues and re- requirements in a set of blueprints. Um, the fire codes, the fire suppression systems and multifamily dwellings and what the county requires and a city requires and getting a set of plans through there, getting a plan zoned and approved through zoning and the lawyer's fees and what all of that costs to get it just to be approved for construction before you even put one shovel in the ground. Those are the kinds of things that if we can get out of the way. And I know, I'll be honest, the city of Phoenix did a great job um, well over a decade ago, probably 15 years ago, did a very good job of starting to streamline the process in, in the city of Phoenix. It was really great, up to 600 amps. This is such a boring construction story, but I'll give you an example. I used to be able to, as, a, as an electrical contractor, as a licensed contractor, I was able to z- design project up to, I believe it was 600 amps. That's the size I could, where I could draw a picture of what I was going to install or what I was going to construct. I could draw a picture of an electrical service on your home or your building that I was going to replace, and I would show them this is what the finished product will look like. This is the size of the service. This is the size conduit we're going to use. This is the size wire we're going to use. This is how we're going to ground this system. I could actually draw it with pencil and paper on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, make three or four copies, walk it through the city, get it stamped for permit, and go to work. That's expediting. That is getting things done more quickly. That's the government getting out of my way and allowing me to do what I do. In the economy, it's the same way with business owners. Get out of the way. We've done that here in Arizona. We've lowered the tax burden for everybody. The complaint from some is, well, it's helping the rich. Well, good. The rich are paying a ton of taxes, but why do you care if it's helping the rich? There's more money coming into the state coffers. We have a budget surplus. You're paying less in taxes, and businesses are starting to come here in droves, which means the competition for your work is out there, and your wages are going to go up. Why Why do we argue about other people getting a break that you think shouldn't? The government getting out of the way seems to solve the problem more often than it doesn't solve the problem. More in government, more government involvement tends to muck things up, and it's not exactly – it's not efficient. It just isn't. There's a great story. Maybe I'll talk about it later, and I didn't bring it into the studio with me. The city of San Francisco built a single public restroom, toilet. $1.7 million it's going to take two years to build. There's an example of the government at work, just by nature. Coming up in a moment, we're going to reset an interview we did with Build Your Future Arizona about how we solve these problems in the need for skilled labor. It was an interesting interview. We'll talk more about it coming up in just a few moments.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with me here on the show. We had a great interview this morning with a man named Robert Hughes. He is, uh, he, as a career, he is the president of uh, Canyon State Electric here in town, a, a big electrical contracting company. But he is part of an organization that's called Build Your Future Arizona, and it is the push to try to get young people directed towards skilled labor and the trades. Um, and I love the conversation with him, and I, I wanted to reset some of it, mostly because maybe it's selfish, because it meant so much to me. It, it changed. The trades changed my life. The change that gave me a purpose. I really felt like um, I could do this and I, I could own my own business someday, which is something I never imagined. Um, I was a happily hand-to-mouth person most of my life, and I lived for that day and for the Friday paycheck, and that's kind of what I thought about life. And I, maybe a lot of people were like that. But with the trades, I knew I had a skill set, and it was something that meant the world to me. And there is a uh, um, – it's interesting to um, – I want you to hear uh, toward the end of this when I talked with him about the pride in, in a career of accomplishment, of being able to say I built that or I worked on this, I did this, I did that um, because you can see it. At the end of every workday, you can see your progress, and there is something rewarding about that to a lot of people, including myself, and this is that part of the conversation I had with Mr. Hughes. That is why we do what we do every single day. It's the pride that goes into and how cool it is to what we what we build. I mean, we see some really amazing buildings, meet with amazing owners who have this vision, and we're able to put that skill and that art and that craft to them and present, I mean, amazing-looking buildings. And just the careers alone that are in the industry, are you could make a great living out of it. And speaking of making a great living out of it, we talked about pay. They're starting people. This is entry-level positions in the trades average around 20 21 bucks an hour that's not a bad wage and their electrical journeyman electricians are making around seventy thousand dollars a year with benefits um they, he was saying hvac mechanical you know um technicians are making somewhere around sixty five thousand dollars a year um plumbers and all of the tradesmen and women that are out there um it is a great industry uh, i loved the idea of working with my hands and accomplishing something, but also feeling as if I was working with my brain as well. Um, I loved the troubleshooting part of being an electrician. I, when I was a service electrician, I loved being able to go into someone's place of business, especially when it got more and more technical towards the end of my career when I was doing work in wastewater treatment plants and well sites and motors and going in and knowing when somebody else had something broken that I was going to be able to find and fix the problem. You feel almost like king of the world. You spend most of your life looking at yourself as kind of low in intellect, very average, and people need your help. It was it was an amazing time for me. So um, the reason why I wanted to reset this is because the economy of Arizona is doing very well in comparison with a lot of other places in the country, and a lot of it is because – we have diversified our economy over the last eight years. But what is necessary to continue our growth and continue that is to diversify our education for people. The diversification of education where we are sending a lot of our young people to higher education. We need school teachers. We need lawyers. Well, maybe not so many lawyers. We need, um, I'm joking, doctors, nurses. We need college educated people, accountants. Those are all important skills. We need the engineers 
engineers to be able to design the buildings so that people like me can build them. But we also need that skilled labor set. It isn't an either or. We shouldn't be putting in the minds of young people that you can't be successful if you're not college educated. Telling them about places like EVIT and Westmec and trade schools, they call them CTEDs, and saying to them, you can find a niche where you're happy. It could be coding. It doesn't have to be construction. It could be a specialized certification that you can get in a year or two. You know, school teachers and, and people that work in the medical field, they're required to have continuing education because as their industries change, you have to change with them. And that continuing education throughout all of their careers keeps them growing and keeps them learning. It's no different in the trades. And and when you surround yourself, some of my uh, some of the people I admire most are in the construction industry. My buddy Bruce, I've talked about often, owns a construction company. Um, He has a framing and drywall company and a great businessman, has been a great businessman for years, was a working guy. Tools on, framer, drywall hanger, has become a very successful businessman. Uh, my buddy Mike, uh, who I told you was a general contractor, a former firefighter in New York, you know, Angeloni Builders was the name of his company. And I worked with him for years. And I'd, I'd run through a wall with that guy. He was someone that was as honest as the day is long, tough as nails, and honest, just an honest person. And those are the people that you find in the construction world. And so I don't know if I just perceived that there was a misconception about people in construction or if there really is. But you always have this – I would say to you that a dirty, sweaty T-shirt at lunchtime, don't equate that with lack of intelligence. Just because I'm carrying a bucket of tools and that other person is carrying a briefcase certainly doesn't mean that that person's either wealthier or more capable than I am. It's just a different path, and we all have those different paths. And so we are going to need to fill these voids. He was talking about how many, a couple of hundred thousand jobs that we're going to need in the next four or five years. And imagine being someone, and if you're a parent and you're worried, you're concerned about your son or daughter, that they really don't know what they want to do and they're a little misguided, they don't have a lot of direction, getting them into one of these areas where you're mentored by older people. That's the other great thing about the trades for me was the people that are teaching you didn't learn it in a book. They're teaching you because of what they've learned and done their entire career. When you're on a job site at the beginning of your career, there is a project manager. There is somebody out there that's a job superintendent or the foreman on the job. You've got journeymen that you're working under. And these are people that are not only going to teach you how, but teach you why. And it is really cool to to learn and grow. And uh, I hope I'm not belaboring it, but I really love the industries. Um, if you go to www.b B-Y-F-A-Z, like build your future, B-Y-F as in Frank, B-Y-F-A-Z dot org. You can inquire about these programs and apprenticeship programs because we're going to need that skilled labor. And it not only are you going to be helping your community, but you're going to make a great living. And if you're anything like me, you're going to be proud of the work that you do. Um, it's terrific. So, all right, I'm off my soapbox. In a moment, uh, Phoenix police, are they getting enough recruits and new officers? Is it improving? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. 
Hey, thanks again for being here. The Phoenix police officer shortage calls for improved recruitment. And this was an interesting story because I talk about policing very often as well. And they are trying to create a pipeline of younger people between 14 and 21, kind of like an explorer program, or at least increase that so they can get younger people involved and interested in policing at a much younger age. And, you know, um, and maybe you don't, but policing, it's a, it's a very difficult job to qualify for um, because of the background check and the mental health evaluation and things of that nature, that there are mistakes you can make as a teenager that could stop you from being that in the future. Um, and to be honest, you know, I wanted, that's all I ever wanted to be when I was young was a police officer. It never worked out for me. It never happened. Um, but one of the reasons why I walked away when the people I was hanging out with would do crazy and stupid things, when it got to that point where I'm like, mm, no, 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 I'm not crossing that line. It was because in the back of my mind, I thought it would stop me from the ability of being a police officer. So there is an element of that in here. Hey, stay with you. Know, do these things so that you can do these things. And um, so that's one of the things that Phoenix PD is doing. But the numbers are shocking. The city of Phoenix is allocated by the city council to have thirty one hundred and twenty five sworn officers. As of September 7th, they had twenty six hundred and three. They are down over five hundred officers. That's a public safety issue. That's an officer safety issue. That's a quality of service issue. And uh, they've got to be able to do something about it. And hopefully they're going to be able to do something um, very quickly. We know that violent crimes have gone up, that that criminals understand when they have the upper hand. That's what predators do. Predators wait until they have the upper hand for their ambush, and then they go to work. Um, and when you look at uh, at crime and punishment, there is an element in our society because everything gets broken down by politics. And I, if you say policy, it's better because it doesn't sound so much like it's just party lines. But there's an element in our society that if, if leaning one way or the other that would say what we need to do is make sure there are stiff penalties for bad behavior, teach people a lesson at a young age, shape up or ship out, and make sure they understand there's very severe consequences for your actions, especially violent actions. There's another set of, of thinking that says if we get them at a young age and we spend a lot more money and we invest in them in school and we get them educated, we would have a lot less crime. One says more cops in jails. The other says more schools and counselors. But I will tell you that there's a mixture in there of things because I grew up poor. I grew up living in in. The projects, basically, it was. I didn't live in the projects, but project-like apartments. We grew up in bad neighborhoods. I, you know, I, I we grew up with very, very little. And my mother was. She never would say words like "poor" doesn't mean dirty or "poor" doesn't mean stupid or criminal. But she led that way. You know, we lived in crappy apartments, but the house was immaculately clean all the time. You know, so that what I mean by that is we were never let off the hook that just because we didn't have something someone else had, that it meant that we were going to live in a stereotypical world. And when we have a lack of police officers, we can't do the things that the entire community wants done. We want police officers to invest in the community. We want officers to understand the communities they patrol. We want officers to be understood and to know the people in the neighborhoods and the neighborhood people know them so that everybody can get along and there's a mutual respect because you don't win respect in a crisis. You lean on respect in a crisis. You don't build relationships in a crisis. You lean on those relationships in a crisis. 
crisis. Well, if police officers are jumping in a patrol vehicle and they are fielding calls and chasing calls for service their entire shift, there is no proactive policing. There is no community patrol. There is none of that that's happening. And let's talk about the training element. We want officers better trained so that they're reacting to situations, whether it's a mental health situation or the possibility of violence, de-escalation, whatever it is. We want well-trained officers. Well, if you're short officers, who's on the street while the officer is in training? There is so much, there are so many ways to say and reasons to say we've got to find a way to get people to take that job and we've got to find a way to get them on the streets as quickly as we can because all of these other elements that both sides of this argument want suffer when you don't have enough cops on the street. So the community that says we need better relationships in our neighborhoods with the cops, you're never going to get that until we have a sufficient number of them on the streets to cover the other jobs that they're doing. And I just wish we could sit down and have that conversation instead of saying this is what I think of cops and somebody saying, no, you're wrong about that when it comes to cops. Cops are not that way. Why not say, well, you're never going to get what you want out of the police department until it's fully funded and functioning. And that's something that we need to look at. And hopefully we'll start looking at it. I think we will. Um, want to talk about the border just after 11 o'clock. It's an interesting look at Afghan refugees who had to flee Afghanistan when the American military pulled out of Afghanistan, trying to make their way to the U.S. border. And how some refugees are saying the U.N. is actually showing them how to get to the U.S. border, while others that are entitled to asylum are stuck in places like Guatemala. It's another look at the border. We're going to look at both of it next.